Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. All right, welcome back to episode 46. I'm Chase. It's me. It's me. <laughs> hey, Josh, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> One of those will be a keeper. <laughs> we did. We did. Uh, is this our fourth take of that intro? But we, we got this. We're professionals here. It. This is behind the scenes <laughs> that nobody gets to normally see. But um, I'm excited. We got we got some cool news to talk about. And then later on, I'll be interviewing Brian Kerr from Big Top Gaming about his YouTube channel and the podcast that he runs, uh, Game of Ice and Fire. Which, if you haven't checked out, be sure to take a look at. Big fans. Big fans of Big Top Gaming. Oh man, I love the analysis, but I'll get into that. Um, before we jump into all of that, over on a song of ice and fire cc.com, we do have an event finder and you can submit events there as well. And coming up on September 8th, there is a Vancouver song tournament, a song of ice and fire cc.com. Check out September 8th, it's from 12 to 6. It's got a five dollar entry, and you can find out more on their website, www.theconnectiongames.com. I might have been dating myself there by putting the www in front of that. I don't know. That's okay. No, I, I say World Wide Web. Dot. Oh, God. On the yeah. interwebs? <laughs> On the information super highway. Oh, there we go. Gosh. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other cool thing that came out today was Michael Chanel posted on the Facebook group the new beta version of the Fire and Blood scenario. And I don't know, did you get a chance to see that, Josh? I did. I got to, I got to take a quick perusal of that, uh, of that notification, oh. and it seems pretty sweet. Deployments haven't changed. Still 18-inch, and I love this game mode of free folk because I get to play either a little bit deep or shallow, uh, trying to lure them onto my side of the board and then jumping on them with my endless horde. But now what they've changed is once the units have been deployed, you start to do your marking as usual, but units costing zero points can no longer be marked. So that that's going to save your dire wolves or any other free attachments that might be coming down the line from being instantly marked and being an easy source of victory points for your opponent. In addition, when you mark your two opponent's units, if you kill them, you get your, your standard plus two victory points. And if they kill a unit, they gain plus one additional victory point if the marked unit does the killing. But now marked units all roll plus two attack dice on all attacks. That's interesting. Because then it's like you have to start thinking about who you're putting that marked target on, right? Right. So you get you that know, Umber Berserker unit with the Umber yeah. Champion that's giving already plus two dice, and then you mark it, and you just got some 14 dice. Yikes. Machine. Yeah. And they're getting the plus, I mean, they're, like the, they're getting plus one victory for, for destroying stuff. So it's it's definitely going to make it uh, more of a consideration, like how you're going to sort of assign those tokens, you know? It's a now, little so, reward. Next game we play of this, and I'm if I'm bringing Free Folk, um, does that change anything for you against that? Or it's always like, I'm just going to throw it on the Raiders. Plus two dice, who really cares? And you can try and maul yeah. them. I put it on the Raiders or like if you have trappers. Yeah. And just at that level. At least now though, actually though, at least maybe they have like a fighting chance. Like I can actually push out some damage with them. Yeah. I mean, plus two dice is nothing, that's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. especially on some units. So it makes like, I think in this game, it becomes really interesting if you bring really elite units, um, they can become pretty formidable. Here's the other thing too, right? That, that that's the other sort of there's an opportunity cost to marking a target because let's right. say I'm marking your raider, which means that now now becomes a priority for me to kill them. Meanwhile, all of your other stuff is is like wailing on my flanks and and rear. So it's like there's a yeah, there's a kind of like a couple different things to consider there that you have to be very careful uh, about sort of who you're marking. 
Yeah, and maybe this actually even makes some units that maybe traditionally don't have the highest damage output a little bit more favorable. Although I guess you just wouldn't want to mark them, huh? I'm thinking like Tully Sworn Shields or something where, you know, 764 as an attack profile isn't super impressive. Um, but I'd take, I'd take a nine dice on a three plus to hit with three plus armor blocking D3 hits automatically. Like that, that'd be pretty sweet. It is. I mean, think about it this way too. The other way of looking at it is, you know, marking the target might, like if we're for a really aggressive unit, may make them want to keep them sort of out of harm's way. You know what I mean? So maybe they'll hold right. them back a little bit more because they, well, once they start taking wounds, you know, they're going to be like, okay, well, I have to start being very careful with these guys because, oh. you know, they're, they're starting to get, get up there in points. I wonder how many or, new players are going to get their unit marked, be like, I got plus two dice. I just like send them running across the board. Hey, like time to go kill that'll, that'll be you <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah but yeah that's exactly what i'm gonna do <laughs> as you carve through my units i'm like oh great there go the berserkers again there goes those great axes just what they need <laughs> plus two dice so maybe the best yeah. unit to put this on would be the giants where the plus two attack dice don't do anything it doesn't generate any additional damage because yeah. if you hit if you generate a hit you do the d3 wounds but i guess a giant is pretty resilient so and easy to hide. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, I, I think that's probably the best way to do it. And then uh, in the standard mode, as usual, it's when your commander unit activates, you may select one enemy combat unit within long range and place one victory point token on that unit. When that unit is killed, you get to claim those victory points. So that hasn't changed. But I kind of, I really like the way they're approaching these beta versions of these scenarios. And I think it takes into consideration a lot of the ways that people were playing around the scenario, whether they were playing around its intended play style or they're just like updating it for a more competitive scene. Um, I'm, I'm kind of digging these changes. I, me too. And, and I think it's cool too that they've, I mean, they've been putting out a couple different uh, scenario updates, you know, and just kind of saying, hey, this is not final, but, you know, play it. Let us know what you think. Now, here's the yeah. question. Michael Sinnoh has been on the podcast hinting at there's going to be like a 1.5 update. Mm -hmm. these are the beta versions of what I'm assuming are going to be the 1.5 update scenarios. Um, are we not to like undervalue what we're doing in this podcast, talking about the scenario, but do you think they're bound? I mean, I assume they're balancing these scenarios for whatever changes they put out in version 1.5 of their overall game update. Right. So it's a good possibility. So we I mean, made, I, I think, so, you know, also they're probably listening to everything we say and they're like, yes, that's right. Right. Josh was right about the point behind yes. you. <laughs> Fabio, if you're listening, uh, message me. And, yeah, uh, that's what it is. We're just, we're just, you know, out there steering the ship, you know, from from afar. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the reason, right? No, no. Okay. No, I think, uh, I think for sure, like, there's, they've got to take that to, into into account. I mean, they can make some tweaks to these scenarios again. Right. These are, like they said, beta versions. But maybe they're trying to like kind of put these out in the wild and see like you know, what the feedback is. Right. Like, and what I'm what, what I'm kind of getting at though is like, is it kind of pointless that we're talking about like, oh, here's how units are going to play on this map when it's like in in the update? I don't you know. So I don't know if the update's going to be big or small, but I'm I'm assuming there's going to be some bigger changes. At one point four was like six units, but you know it could be that there's a big change and all the balance we're talking about and how the scenario is going to play like goes out the window. But maybe oh, I'm getting too. Maybe it's going to be like a minor wording on like brawn or like uh, varies uh, or something, and that's going to be the entire 1.5 update. And, the, and we're going to be like, oh, I feel foolish. I thought it was going to be more. I, 
Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure that we've, we, over the years, we probably said a bunch of stuff that's probably not super accurate. So I think it's not, not valuable to. In this case, uh, Simon, about... uh, or, or uh, you know, cool you're not, or, or what, come on games. If you're listening, then just, just message us and just let us know if we're wrong. If you're, if you're actually hearing this, who knows? Just, you're wrong. <laughs> no, it'll be, Michael will definitely send a uh, personal email to me right after this. There we go. <laughs> Uh, it just I, I feel like Michael probably wouldn't send a personal email. I feel like he'd just like show up outside your house and just be waiting there. Like you go, you like unlock your door and you sit and it's like kind of like Nick Fury style. He's just like sitting in the shadow <laughs> in the chair. Hello, Josh. You done well. <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah. how'd he get in here? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's really hard to say. But what's the name of that? The Warrior Sons. That's what I was trying to think of. Oh, yeah, the, the Warrior Sons are costing right. perfectly. He's gonna. It's like that'll be the calling card. Just leaves one little mini, like you're like, oh man, <laughs> who was here? Yeah. Well, you know, if I know. You, know, chase, you know, I just gotta hate on a unit every now and again. That's that's sort of my my methodology here. Can I mention the other thing was uh, there were some pseudo spoilers, right? Yeah, so this is something we didn't really bring up on the podcast when it happened, and there's been a little bit of distance now, but we've been getting, like, persistent emails, and, like, first thing, like, you know, you guys are amazing. The community, I feel like when there's stuff out there, um, we've had people send us, you know, early uh, pictures of cars that they got if they live, like, on the other side of the world, et cetera, and, like, I really do appreciate people trying to keep us in the loop so we can give you guys, like, up-to-date news on things and keep the community informed. This one that we kind of didn't talk about and we're still getting messages about um, was sort of a different, a really different situation. And I was actually looking on the Reddit page and I saw there were some posts uh, going back a ways now, but they were people were like really upset and they felt like the Facebook group was like censoring the community. Oh. And essentially what had happened, and, and I, I don't really know, I don't have the inside scoop, but this is from other people like sharing information or being like, oh, did you know this? And kind of trying to me trying to piece together what it seems like. So everything here is like with a grain of salt speculation. But this was different than like the typical, like I'm in Canada or I'm in Singapore and I got a box early and I opened it and I took pictures to show with everybody. Um, there was a series of units uh, that we knew were coming out, right? We had seen like, distribution lists or you know bulleted items of things that were coming out in the future but things like the bloody murmur skirmishers the bloody murmur zorse riders the unsullied swordsman uh there was like an unsullied uh, attachment officer and then it was like the heroes box two with samuel tarley gilly benjamin star cold hands craster you know all stuff coming out that's like you know it wasn't officially confirmed but we had seen enough sources saying that these things are likely coming out and are coming out that you know, it painted a pretty clear picture. But yeah. um, what got posted online, though, was actual cards of, of these units, like early units with stats on them and images. Those were posted in the Facebook group. And at the time, representatives from CMON or, you know, uh, Come On Games reached out to the Facebook group and asked them to remove that post. Yeah. And uh, what we decided not to talk about what was on those cards. And we're, I don't think, I don't think we're going to talk about the stats on those cards now even. So, and, and I just want to explain, here's why we've really enjoyed having people from, uh, come on games on the podcast. You know, Michael Chanel is, we, he like, I know he has like a dark, mysterious, uh, <laughs> uh persona yeah. he presents, but he's like a super nice guy. And Fabio Curry, he's, he's like amazing. So when I think we want to kind of honor the, the relationship that we've had with these guests, and what was different about these leaks from the other ones was that these were like leaks in like the truest sense. The material on the cards 
was unfinished. Like if you look at the Bloody Murmur skirmishes, like the art on that, it's unfinished art. Yeah. And the the same thing with the Zorsh Riders, like these are either outdated or what really looks like, you know, stuff that was not meant for public consumption. Right. These were like cards that were like in progress, potentially stolen or leaked. And it's right. kind of a little bit of a weird, slippery gray area. Like this, kind of like you said, like this isn't like a vendor broke street date, so it's fair game. But this is kind of like a weird, you know, pseudo corporate right. espionage <laughs> with extremely low stakes, but still kind of like, right. I'm sure it's frustrating for people like, you know, who are working on the game to go like, guys, like, this isn't this is like eight versions ago like this isn't what it is you know don't get fired up or you know so i think i mean it's cool i i mean for me it was cool to just see like an idea of what could be down the road so i mean it's not like i was like mad that i saw it but it's also kind of one of those weird things where it's like eh, it's also kind of stolen so right and i think yeah. and so we we didn't put out this on the facebook page um we didn't share it out there stuff like that is online it's on the web if you really want to go look for it but I think the thing to really stress is that uh, these units are units that are coming out. The the stats on those cards and the, the art on these cards is unfinished. The stats are um, not confirmed. And these are early playtest versions that will go through multiple iterations before they're released. So there's not really anything helpful for us to like discuss about it when we realize that these stats and rule blocks on them are very, very likely to change. So I think maybe be excited that these things are coming out. But these don't these don't represent in any way the finished product of what we may be getting. Um, the other thing is uh, when I was opening up saying like, hey, yeah, we really appreciate when people send us stuff and keep us in the loop. You know, we really want, uh, we love getting those like early images and things like that. If you can take high res photos, great. Uh, we don't want any material that was garnered in like an illegal way. So please don't Shit, try and like, we don't condone any of that. Right. So, uh, you know, just so you guys know, in, in, in a kind of like a honesty to the community, I think this was an unusual situation. And uh, so we've made our decision not to really endorse um, things that are stolen, really. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to we're going to shift gears here. And uh, we're going to be talking with Brian from uh, Big Top Gaming. And uh, Josh, I know you've got to ride off into the sunset. Right. <laughs> goodbye and, goodbye uh, everyone uh, I'll, I'll catch up with you later and then uh you know brian thanks so much for coming on the show we're, we're excited to have you here yeah thanks for having me i've been looking forward to it this is sort of a, a kind of a fun situation because as a content producer where you're making stuff for the game go out there to look for other things to listen to because you're not going to be listening to your own stuff and I, I love your content and i think it's, uh, you just did your last episode i think was with fabio curry the uh, game developer for Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. If people haven't checked that out, uh, you certainly should. And by the time this actually gets released, it'll have been out for a little while, but uh, just before this show started, you released a uh, Baratheon versus Stark battle report on YouTube, and it looks so good. Yeah, my my only regret with that one is when it seems like whenever I switch locations, like uh, this one I filmed remotely at our one of our local game stores, mm -hmm. and my settings switched on me in OBS, so it was recording uh, in poor resolutions. But uh -huh. but now I'm I've upgraded the the visuals, so I'm hoping to try and record a game today that gives a better a better image well i love watching your content and uh, i want to get into that in a little bit before we do that you know one of the things that's great about a song of ice and fire is it's so accessible and it, it brings in lots of players from different backgrounds 
And when people come in with these different gaming backgrounds, whether it's board games or no gaming or traditional war games, their different perspectives really influence the way they look at and approach the game. So maybe just kind of briefly, what, what's your experience with gaming? And you know, ultimately, maybe how did you end up playing A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game? My gaming in general, like first started way out when I was super young. My dad got into Nintendo games, and I think that kind of <laughs> for me. But for tabletop games, I was maybe in the third grade. And I can't even remember how old you are in that when you're in that grade. But uh, <laughs> yeah. at, any, at any rate, the my one of my friends who we we became friends in a really strange way. He was kicking my feet in the back of, we had to sit in lines to get between classes <laughs> and uh, I stabbed him in the shoulder with a pencil. So they forced us to sit in detention together for a real long time. And uh, we just became really good <laughs> friends, but his brother played magic. He was a lot older than us. And I went over to his house to stay the night one night and uh, I really enjoyed the idea of it. So we just started throwing games together. And this was back when, no one really read the rules because they came right. in that little little rule book in the starter decks or whatever. <laughs> it was it was just brutal. There were so many things we did wrong. So I played Magic from then until uh, not too recently. I think I probably stopped playing Magic about five years ago. But my first foray into wargaming was uh, when Mage Knight came out. Oh, okay. We didn't know much about it. It was just, you know, the booster blind boxes or whatever. And I was, we had fun opening them and and messing around with it. Uh, I even converted one of my little like knight archers into spawn. So that was real fun. Um, <laughs> so you had a, a production for like doing some, some uh, conversions early on. Yeah, I did. It was like a total accident. I remember taking uh, a piece of a curtain and soaking it in super glue to make like the red cloak. And I burnt my fingers oh, up. It was so terrible. Cool. <laughs> it was cool. Trust me. But I Pain didn't stick it. with, yeah, it was super worth it. <laughs> But we didn't stick with Mage Knight for very long, and Wargaming never really came back into my vocabulary as a gamer for a while until uh, someone got me into 40K, and I played that for a little while. But then I really settled up into War Machine, so for the last maybe seven years or so, I've been a religious War Machine player with a little bit of dabbling every now and again in other games, but... uh Song of Ice and Fire, I started with uh, Night's Watch when they first came out. I, I got a little bit of War Machine in. What, uh, what factions did you play in War Machine? Uh, I think uh, when I first started out, I really settled myself into the, the, the Midwestern stereotype of Kador and Trolls was where I really uh, played okay. a lot. And up to now, I've played every single faction that's ever existed in the game because I've just been so immersed in that world. Uh, the Infernals just came out, and I haven't quite gotten them together yet, but my War Machine playing has kind of died down substantially since getting into Ice and Fire. Gotcha. Yeah, it's sort of the same way for me. I played very little War Machine, but I got into it maybe like the year before the big switchover, mostly playing with local friends, like in our basements, etc. Tried Circle or Boris, and... Uh, Boy, my friend played Cricks, and I just, what is like all that crazy ghost stuff? I just remember it always <laughs> driving me crazy. Cricks in Mark II was, was, a, was a horrid experience to play against. <laughs> I, I, uh, I definitely have some horror stories from that, but we, we played really competitively. It wasn't like War Machine was just, a, you know, the game that we'd get together and, and do our beer and pretzels thing to, to quote, but um, we, we played, we traveled all over the United States for competitive play and we had a team a solid team of like anywhere from 
five to 15 people that would run around with us in the, the war machine community in, Ma- in the Madison area in Wisconsin is sitting around it, at its heyday would sit around 50 to 100 people. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that. That was the thing about that game where I was like, I could see that potential for it to be so, so amazing as a game for me to play competitively. But like, that's a lot of work. Like there's a there's a lot to uh, to get in with that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a nice refresher now since uh, I play every faction for um, Ice and Fire. I was I was playing a game the other day against uh, one of our locals here. We were just killing some time before we went out for the evening. And uh, we, I didn't, I couldn't find any of my start cards because I've been traveling around with a lot of demo stuff and just couldn't locate mm-hmm. them. And I would just rattle off all of his stats to him before he could even Jeez. open up his phone. And I'm like, yeah, trust me, it's a big vacation <laughs> from remembering the thousands of War Machine model stats. Because that's how you have to play that game if you want to play it competitively. You need to know everything. Yeah, man. And that's the thing is like, you know, that was what ended up ultimately being like, oh, you know what? I don't know if I have the time to, to do all that because there's so much there. But, you know, so how did you actually make the transition to into A Song of Ice and Fire? Like, how did you hear about this game? Well, that's a funny one, because when I I first saw the game when they were previewing it at Gen Con before the Kickstarter went live. Mm-hmm. And this was in the era of the entire universe being burnt by Rune Wars. Right. <laughs> as they were trying to, like, reestablish that rank and file, like, fantasy war game system. So I walked by the booth. I paid attention for a little bit and i was like ah this game looks like crap so i moved on with my life and were the minis painted uh i think they were the blue and the blue and red ones back then so they hadn't quite done anything with them yet um so i moved on and i was like ah it's another it's just a game i don't have to buy it's okay um because i'm a huge game of thrones fan i started with the hbo series and then just dove deep into the books and everything so i know it's uh, not to be a creeper but if, if anybody you, if you haven't liked his facebook page make sure you like big top gaming but on there if you scroll down a bit there are some pictures of your display cases with your miniatures uh which oh, are yeah. gorgeous but you can notice in the background there's some like banners and other paraphernalia that that is like <laughs> oh yeah like you're going deep <laughs> yeah I, I, my whole i have a a whole room in my place that's just devoted to tabletop gaming it's the painting the table setup it's like my my like small box studio but then uh the the cases are set up to where i I got really frustrated with traveling with ice and fire stuff because i hadn't magnetized the trays and i was just using my war machine foam stuff so taking everything out putting it on the tray putting it all back so getting the standing display cases really made it so now i can just grab the tray and go but yeah i really enjoy them they're really inexpensive to set up it's actually it cost me more money to get the extra shelves than it did to actually get the cases oh really yeah tempered glass pretty expensive Jeez. but um so i walk by the booth right i i think the game i discount the game right away i just don't care about it little little did he know yeah fast forward to uh the night's watch release like the 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 seat we were at the maybe I think at that point in the show's running, we were at the lull before, like the it was the the tension was building up before they released the final uh, season. Yep. Oh yeah. So I was like super just into it and was and I think Ash Barker from Gorilla Miniatures put out mm-hmm. a video on the Night's Watch stuff. So I watched it because I was like, ah, whatever. Maybe the game's different now. And I just like said, this game looks amazing. <laughs> so. Uh, I actually got to like get involved and immersed in the gameplay, saw the models, and I was like, oh, Night's Watch, I'm going to windmill slam that one right down. So I used like some fitness rewards from my work to buy an Amazon 
they, they give you like Amazon gift cards or whatever. So I bought a night's watch box, got it. And, uh, one of my locals here, Tyler, he's a, a lot in a lot of the earlier videos, but we, I'd film with him more, but our schedules just conflict a lot because mm -hmm. he's a third shift worker. Okay. But I was, he's the one where like, if I want to get into a game, he'll jump right in with me. Like he's, he's Mr. Reliable when it comes into getting into games. So the first thing he buys is Night's Watch. So I didn't want to play the mirror match. So I ended up getting a, getting in on a, somebody getting rid of a hand of the King Kickstarter pledge yep. from there. It just blew up. Nice. And now I know, I know a lot of your stuff is free folk. I see too. Oh yeah. I, I'm a, I identify as a free folk player. If you were to really boil <laughs> it down. I mean, I rotate through all the factions to keep the videos fresh and uh, try out new things that people are interested in. But my, my heart is in free folk, which is really awkward considering my, other war game backgrounds i always like the attrition style play and uh, attrition survival really is what i like yep um so night's watch really felt like a good fit for me i also really like the idea of playing the blackfish yeah oh, but yeah. then i also have this uh uh habit of wanting to play the faction that gets played the least in my local area because it's kind of like this old war machine competitive nature where like whatever is being played least I want to play. So people get the, the gist of what it does. Mm -hmm. uh, so if they go to an event remotely, they know what it, they don't get surprised by it. So I fell into free folk and just full ham. I it's what I play most on my free time. I, I mean, I think we've been accused of having some free folk bias here on the podcast. And uh, I'm just glad that there's another podcaster out there that also likes free folk. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have to lean so hard into like defending and supporting some free folk if they didn't get so much shade thrown at them. But well, I mean, I mean, should we just step into that? There was a, uh, there's been a series of events, but, uh, you know, most recently, I think it maybe came to a head with a, a really long Facebook post mm -hmm. that got a lot of commentary on it. So, kind of the weird thing here is that we know there's going to be a big 1.5 change coming up on the line. I don't know if that's going to mean anything for free folk. Um, but, as far as the faction or the way it interacts with game mechanics, are there any concerns you have or things that you think are overblown? Or maybe do you have any like wish list items that you're like, oh, if I could add something to the faction identity, maybe something like this. You know, I think the for free folk, the thing that's kind of always bugged me is the way panic checks work for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're supposed to be this faction that's got like tons of people that are all fighting for one cause. It's right. they're, they're just this massive army, right? So like whenever I roll like under four on my panic checks and if there's any negative modifiers, I can just wipe a unit. Like I had no say in that, no tactical business right. there. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing a rule getting like planted on them where instead of taking the the difference on panic checks they take like d3 wounds or something like that because it do, it doesn't take a lot of effort to kill free folk models so giving them some kind of buff to morale in some way would be nice but i'm i'm probably i'm sure everyone's screaming at me that's lost against free folk right now yeah i don't know i think that's the key to it for me too and i was talking about this on the facebook page about like raiders in particular and that maybe i don't know if i found their exact role yet but one of the challenges can be is it it's so hit or miss like mm -hmm. it comes down to if they take any damage and you roll poorly or there's any, like you said, morale modifier, like it's not impossible to take eight wounds right off the bat. And then yeah, if the opponent just, gets a free maneuver. 
Yeah, you just got to, it's almost like you have to cross your fingers every time you want to try and make your army do what it's supposed to do. Right. My biggest strategy is that the raiders are usually the meat shields or bait that Mm -hmm. pulls in for charges because I don't think you can be aggressive as free folk. Every game I've ever lost as free folk is because I'm like, oh, I got a swift advance in my hand, so I'm going to jam these cave dwellers way up the table and try and take out a low morale, low armor save unit. That never works. It always sucks. I usually, the unit gets wiped out pretty easily. So if you use the raiders to kind of bait out those charges, um, that's kind of what I like their role for. But the problem, like like we both said so far, is that I'm mostly doing that so I can try and make sure these double... Uh, engagements happen Mm -hmm. but i'm not guaranteed that that raider unit's gonna stay there so i almost get punished for playing my army the way that it needs to play yeah and i think that's that's my biggest concern and the thing is like you know there are there solutions to that yeah there certainly are um people be like well just play mance but you know i don't know if i feel like having to always play the same commander to mitigate this one problem across the whole faction uh, makes sense Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah that's a a big one is I have pivoted off of Mance quite a bit only because I'm so familiar with how to play him. I really wanted to lean into the hero box one stuff or oh, hero box two yeah. stuff, hero box one, one right now. Um, so, but losing that six plus bubble really does uh, bum me out a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. And, and the thing is like, I think there are actually things coming out that help mitigate this problem a little bit. And I think the, the weakened token off of uh Steyr's chosen uh, being able to put out a weakened token on a unit that's going to be huge and then that you're gonna be a little bit more survivable i think the fen being able to not have charge bonuses applied against them that's huge and i love the way that they made them sort of tough in that way i don't know i'm excited to have someone here i can like geek out about the free folk on because i think normally josh we're on a podcast but i can hear his eyes rolling when i start going about free folk normally yeah well and, and sometimes the people that you talk about free folk with don't quite understand it on the same level right they're just like ah raiders trappers great right um Get good, but, man. It's like yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> but the I'm really good at roll my dice sometimes. Yeah, the the I do think there are problems with free folk, like just innately baked into the way they've been designed. But they're not so bad that you can't get over them. I think the more the releases are coming out, the more I have issues with some of the creative directions with the faction. And it really is just I think it when I saw the the thens, this is where I really started to get a little concerned with things. Is that I feel like there's like this weird mathematical phenomena going on with the statistics for free folk and that the units are kind of converging towards the mean a little bit. Mm-hmm. So trappers and raiders are very different, but somewhat similar. Uh, the, the followers of bone and the thin are extremely similar. So there seems like there's just the, your choices between those, there's, there's like a very small degrees of what you want to get out of them that make you pick one or the other. Right. And I, I fear or worry about the fens just kind of being the right one to go with, or people just like, I feel like followers of bones, followers of bone might get spear wifed. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I, I, yeah, I thought a little about that as well. And I was wondering, they're trying to get this this feel of a like a coalition where you got like lots of little factions represented in your horde it's not just like you know all one thing necessarily uh it's not like you know taking three units of guardsmen like how do you get that like patchwork quality uh and i wondered if maybe that was what was going on there where it's like okay i could just take all then but maybe i want to take you know one unit a follower of bones 
but not doubling up or I don't know if, if there's a way they're trying to work in and make it so that it's like not that you're spamming stuff in your list, but you're patching in things because each one has like a very slightly different role. Yeah. And it's, and it's so minor to the way that it differs. And I had mentioned spear wives and uh, cave dwellers and spear wives are the ones that are comparable to like, if, if the mean is the middle on very exact opposite spectrums are spear wives and cave dwellers. So it's kind of hard to justify one over the other. With Fens and Followers, I think there's a little bit more of a separation between the two. But that patchwork idea that you're working with, it really, I think it's going to come down to attachments and commanders. Like, there are going to mm-hmm. be certain ones that, like, Tormund, 100% throw them in Followers. It's going to be awesome for you. In <laughs> Fens, it'll be all right, but they're hitting on fours, and they want to be a little bit more defensive and not offensive, so... It's it's a toughie to it, at least that's the way I'm feeling about the faction right now. Right. I still play it and love it and enjoy the uh, tactical interest that is on the that they put on the table. I, I'm interested to see what like the skin changers right bring to it. And it sounds like there's supposed to be quite a bit of interesting releases that we haven't really seen or heard about yet. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how much more the faction diversifies as it goes on. But right now, it seems like everything's really clumped around one central statistical mean. Yeah. And I'm excited to see, you know, I feel like we're becoming sort of a very, we have the best attachment choices Mm -hmm. for the price point. And I think as more of these attachments come out, it's going to be very interesting in that you're maybe an attachment heavy faction with units that don't necessarily always stick around that long to use those attachments. Um, you know, where does that balance out? No. Yeah, free folk is one of those things where like the attachments are really cool, but the more you take, you're like, ah, that's a unit of trappers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. A seven point unit of, you know, eight morale or something you're like, oh, do I really need to put a three point <laughs> attachment on that? Like, probably not. Yeah. I think uh one of the concepts that I've talked about with a lot of my locals is uh the idea of maybe trying to like attachments in general, there's just some that don't get taken because of their opportunity cost. And uh, the idea of playing 45 point games with five points having to be committed to attachments only isn't it sounds like an interesting concept. I haven't tried it yet, but it sounds oh, yeah. like it would be really beneficial for a lot of factions. Yeah, that's a good point. Because even know. as building neutrals, I get that problem, too. Right. Well, I mean, we could talk probably about free folk all day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm just so charged about free folk. They're really fun to play, fun to talk about. And I before we move on, I'm just going to say one last thing about them is that when you talked about attachments and having some of the access to the best in the game, I do believe hands down Harma is the best attachment in the entire game for one point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think many people can refute that. Man, and that's the hard part now. It's like, you know, now when I'm playing Harma as a commander, I'm like, oh, I really do miss my Harma attachment. Or <laughs> I haven't played as much Thyre as I would have liked, but with the Fen, I've been messing around with some lists, like, planning. And uh, it's going to be tough to give up that th- uh, that Thyre NCU, yep, uh, which I've the... started to lean on a little bit more heavily recently. Yep, as long as Thyre isn't my commander, four points in every Free Folk army is already spoken for. Yeah. Um, and that is the biggest trouble with playing Steyr as a commander. You get Stalwart, which is really legit on a lot of units, especially Followers of Bone, but you lose the D3 wounds and that hurts. So, I mean, you've got a a lot of experience playing games and now you make this awesome content. Now your YouTube channel, like I said, Big Top Gaming, you put out amazing battle reports and you've got your podcast, the Game of Ice and Fire podcast, which I love. And a lot of times you guys do kind of a, especially, well, on your podcast, but also in your videos, 
um, you really take a lot of time and effort to go into sort of the deep dive on tactics and really take your time with that. And if, if you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't seen one of his big top gaming battle reports, I love them. And much of that comes from that. I love the way you film them and the way you approach it as like a narrative guide instead of the kind of off the cuff commentary while playing, um, you know, what kind of inspired you to take that approach? So again, a huge war machine background and, uh, the, one of the first like real battle report, um, YouTube channels that I really enjoyed, uh, was, uh, advanced maneuvers Mm -hmm. and they filmed in that overhead style to give you the full view of the table with a slight angle, of course, because straight overhead, just, you get lost in it a little bit, but they do that. They sped their videos up and recorded commentary over them. And I just absolutely loved it. And for a while I was involved with the, uh, crippled system podcast for war machine as well. And we did a few Uh battle reports that way too. I really just enjoyed all of it, being able to sit down and talk about what it is that you're doing or so much more, more so the why you're doing things. Because when you do the server at the table style where you're just Mm -hmm. like, we're going to play the game and do it real time with real voice and just, just have you witness that it's almost like you pull up a chair and sit by the table and watch them play the game, which is fine. I know that, um, we called it watch machine where you just (laughs) watch someone play a game. And, uh, that is a cool style and there's a lot of value that you can get out of that because you're seeing the real-time things kind of evolve but when you speed the video up and talk about why you're doing things you can also talk about like here's this thing i did that was stupid or here's this rule i that we interpreted and that was wrong or you can talk about like i'm putting this here to set up this play later because if you do that in real time your opponent's not going to let you manufacture that right So I really like that idea. Plus retention on videos is kind of hard to stick with, you know, the two hour, an hour and a half long games. Mm -hmm. So condensing it down makes it so that people can sit down and witness it for a half hour or so and just really absorb it. Um, In terms of like the tactics videos, uh, Michael Chanel's podcast, The the Song Chat, Mm -hmm. I got pretty inspired by how he likes to deep dive into list building. And for me, I will typically build my list to really synergize with the commander because the reason why i'm taking the commander is because i want them to do what they do so my list build strategy or philosophy uh is baked into how i do those tactic videos and it's more of just like it gives me a a chance to kind of like scream into the void about ideas that i have whereas (laughs) our podcast is really like we are all really good friends and we all kind of have the same mentality when it comes to playing the game. So we kind of get to just bounce a bunch of stuff off of each other and it's a real fun, organic conversation that comes out of it. Well, I love everything you're making. And uh, I just, once again, a plug for that to YouTube channel. If you haven't gone over there and like, and subscribed, make sure you do. I think as far as content, uh, you know, kind of there's kind of a spectrum of like entertainment and like informative educational stuff i mean i like to watch them just to be like okay what are to hear how you're thinking through each step or or the the plays you're making and your commentary on that i think is just so helpful and if you're looking to up your game basically these are some videos you want to watch and if you're you know looking to just have something on the background you know this is something i I enjoy actually like kind of not studying well yeah maybe studying and and that i'm actually like caring about the things that are happening because I want to gain insight. Whereas sometimes I'll put something on like while I'm painting and it's just like nice to have in the background. I think you just have so much good content to the, this to glean from your, your videos. Yeah. There's definitely a, 
some points too. like if you are just wanting it on in the background while you're painting, which is what I do with a lot of the content out there as well. A lot of times, like I won't I won't give the now this is what I call a pro gamer move thing. But like a lot of times when we get to these big plays, it's just like now watch this because this is sweet. And then that way you can kind of like say, oh, I better look at this. But I've always tried to mix the entertainment with educational like i think there's um i I would do the best i can to try and like shorten the learning gap that happens from when you get your models to when you feel like you understand your army right i think think, uh, and like video games come like shout casters or something it's not a lot of like oh my gosh can you believe this oh my (laughs) what oh it's more you know you know educational and and i love that the instructional Mm -hmm. element of it yeah and so you know that's the thing is like so and then how did you decide to just like start filming stuff though i mean you said you were involved in a little bit with uh war machine podcasting like i think what many people don't realize is that it it takes a significant time it takes significant time effort and resources to like make and put stuff out there um you know what was your thought to jump in on that well when uh i had i didn't like just full stop leave the the war machine podcasting universe Mm -hmm. it kind of just shortly i kind of slightly transitioned out of it um there were uh much more informed people that were coming on to their cast they they one of the there's a system called the conflict chamber and one the guy who designed it is in madison and a lot of the big events like the wtc or the atc and the witc these these team championships are all organized by people from the madison milwaukee area Mm -hmm. so i they had a lot of subject matter experts coming into the cast and um, the the distance for me to travel from where I'm at to where they record is about 45 minutes. So it was a little bit more of a time chunk that way. So I just kind of tapered off of it, but I never really lost the desire to produce content or be involved in content. So I started tinkering around with uh, just a webcam and some books really as my tripod. And I made some like internal videos to try and like establish my style and everything. And then it just never went anywhere. So when I got into a song of ice and fire, there wasn't a lot of content out there. I mean, there was quite a bit coming from Ash yourself and, uh, uh, Aaron from, uh, geeks of the realm. Yeah. But it's a much smaller pool. (laughs) Exactly. And the, 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 the rate at which it was produced was uh, not super, it, not that it wasn't consistent, but it wasn't very concentrated. So I wanted right. to try and just throw my hat in the ring and be like, I really like this game. I like making stuff. So let's just go ahead and do it. So we tried it out. And uh, from there, I've just slowly kind of like built the car as I was pushing it down the street. <laughs> and uh, and now here I am. I'm, I'm finally at the point where I can upgrade some of my equipment out of my own funds because the releases for the game, I've caught up with them now. So that's not where my hobby money's going anymore. So it's more so buying microphones, uh, getting some upgraded equipment, not because I feel I need it, but because I want it, because I want to try yeah. and make some cool stuff. No, and I told you, and then uh, what people maybe don't know, behind the scenes, uh, you're on the on the table Discord and you've been super helpful and uh, I really appreciate it. And even putting us in contact with people like the guys from Conflict Chamber, um, as Yano is uh, making some changes to and, you know, polishing up some of the pieces of the tournament track we're trying to do they were really helpful in giving us some feedback on things that we were starting to discover weren't working like and what you know we could try and move towards to make things work better um and so i just really appreciate you know all the support and help you had with with all of those pieces that maybe people don't see in the community like behind the scenes so thank you for that yeah really my my 
I'm always like the um, the bridge builder for for gaming, no matter what I'm playing. I think that uh, we all across all systems have very similar mindsets. I mean, there's some games where the mindsets don't really line up that well, but we're all at the end of the day pushing miniatures across the table and throwing <laughs> paint on plastic. So as there's definitely some bridges to be built in sharing that knowledge. And I think conflict chamber is a really good, like it sounded like everything you guys wanted to do with that conflict chamber can help out with. So I'm right. glad that I was able to help facilitate that. And so what are some, any, any shout outs you want to give or things coming down the line that we should be looking out for? Uh, mostly it's, I don't have anything big and massive that's that's heading up i know that our podcast that we're going to be producing later um i'm not sure exactly which direction we're going because we have a lot to talk about we only do we do bi-weekly casts so uh we're either going to be really dive, diving into the brathian stuff or talking about the three slash four new releases that that are coming out so that there's definitely a lot to deliver but that's one of them and there's always weekly i'm posting videos on youtube and it's mostly one one to two battle reports a week at least one tactics or painting video a week it's one or the other usually uh it just depends but right now i'm trying to get the camera thing figured out because there's a lot of other attachments and stuff that i need to get in order to get things to work you know i went from a, a you know like a a eighth of a pound webcam that I could just do whatever I wanted with to having this like three pound monstrosity that I need to figure out how to do overhead shooting with and all that. So nothing. I know what you're talking about. So real. It's so real. Oh. But yeah. Nothing, nothing massive, just the same constant run of, of what we're doing. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, um, you know, a lot of times I'm so caught up in trying to make stuff and it takes me a while and I'm dealing with a little camera stuff as well. And, you know, it's just great to have content out there that I, I really enjoy to watch. And I think yours is so informative and so helpful for me. And I really love it. And uh, I'm looking forward to not to skew your decisions or anything, but as someone who hasn't had a chance to get the Baratheon starter set yet, I'm really looking forward to hear your thoughts on, on your podcast on the line, if not this upcoming episode, but maybe in a future one. Um, since you've already got a bunch of games in and, and, uh, to hear your deep dive on that. Yeah. Uh, they'll be talked about for sure. I know that one of my like previews for, for one of my issues with talking about Baratheons right now is that they are, uh, that they're definitely they're They almost seem like three factions in one. Hmm. Got the vanilla stuff, right? Got the Renly stuff that will come out eventually. And then the Stannis stuff that will come out eventually. So talking about just the vanilla right now, especially knowing that there are going to be some champions of the stag or whatever coming out soon. Right. Uh, they're mounted things. It's, it's kind of weird to talk about them, but there's definitely a lot to be garnered from going over what they've got and what they can do, especially with how I think bronze just going to be evergreen for that faction. Yeah. And the other thing is like, you know, at what point it's a snapshot, right. Of the faction in time. Um, mm -hmm. at what point is a faction, like really a faction, like how many releases need to come out? Like I'm thinking for free folk, God, you know, two releases ago, it was a totally different faction. I mean, I think the hero box itself opened up so much, but cave dweller savages. And I feel like maybe the bone Lord, uh, sorry, the, uh, followers of bone were impactful and filled the spot, but maybe won't be as impactful as the Then might be. But when people are complaining, you know, free folk are broken or this faction is like that, you know, I feel like with the Lannisters, with the Starks, they've really started to develop more of their options and the faction identity with all these extra releases they've had. You know, how long, you know, what, when do we feel like Baratheons might be, you know, really in the spot where we can say, okay, as a faction, they kind of have their identity solidified a little bit more here. 
I, I know there's been some people complaining that like, listen, Baratheons are a joke. I can just run a bunch of pyromancers and I can, there's no way to block wounds. Like they're too easy to smash. Yeah. I, that's a, a tough one to answer because I think it's, a, it, it varies extremely throughout each other faction, right? Because the Starks and Lannisters felt like, well, Starks especially felt like they had a full faction very early. And mm -hmm. I think it's just because their tactics deck really leans into making a lot of their stuff do what it wants to do. There's a lot of synergy with all of that. Whereas with Free Folk, there's it's tough because I think a lot of people would say after their first hero box comes out, they kind of get established as a, as a new faction or a full faction. But there's so many different ways to play that faction within those that I think the it's going to be at least two releases on each side okay. of, the, of the specific loyalties. Because right now I can tell you that Stannis doesn't really feel like he belongs in a competitive list currently. Mm. And I know that people are going to like you know crucify me for that or whatever they'll they'll flay me on one of those stakes yeah. or whatever burn but, <laughs> yeah they'll they'll get me for it but i think that stannis really likes to lean into that condition play and there's parts of the baratheon deck too like uh i think i say baratheon uh it's not baratheon resilience it's the other one where you get to take a condition off of you and put it on someone else mm -hmm. like that card's when i pitch all the time because conditions just aren't something that are really you know impactful to me i think the wardens they can put them out and everything there's ways to manufacture it but i think that renly's the one who's going to feel fuller faster mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. i think it's going to be for sure two releases on well two releases on stannis's side but then i think if renly gets his rose knights and the the, the mounted guys he'll be fine like okay. he feels fine now awesome well, I'm looking forward to hearing you uh, go in depth on that on your podcast. And just as a reminder, make sure you check out Big Top Gaming on YouTube and the A Game of Ice and Fire podcast. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. And until next time, I hope you get your miniatures on the table.